Welcome to Mixed Company, bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. All right, guys, welcome back to Mixed Company Podcast. We are luckily still in God's month of Black History Month in the United States and apparently uh, Canada. So I have been saying Black History Month in North America, but we're here. We've got more dope shit to talk about. And Sim, you've survived another week in in retrograde, which has officially ended like in the last day or so. How are you living? Did I survive? I don't know. That's a great question, bro. You tell me. (laughs) It's still up in the air. It's still up in the air. I'm watching you like massage your temple. And I I just feel like this Black History Month, I've had to woosah more than my ancestors would have preferred. Um, and by the looks that you, you are continuing to woosah. Yeah, I would say like it's the best of times and the worst, worst of times because there's been a lot of dope Black shit that's happened, but then also retrograde has been like kicking my ass. And by kicking my ass, I mean just working with people who um, ain't shit. Mm. not gonna expand (laughs) you know i i feel a way about putting that all on retrograde i think retrograde gets such a bad rap because it's really supposed to be a time of reflection um i personally just wanted to fight most of this month and maybe that's what kind of aligns with the black history um our fight for survival (laughs) relative and so maybe i you know maybe we've just been making our ancestors proud but either way we're still here. We've got more to talk about. Um, welcome back to the show. And let's dive into dope shit and ain't shit. Yep. I mean, you go ahead and kick off because what you got to talk about, I'm, I'm excited to kick off. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to keep it brief. Uh, if you haven't watched Judas and Messiah, go do that. Um, definitely a dope ass movie with a dope ass soundtrack with dope ass black people, dope ass narrative. Um, I think the thing that stands out to me the most um, is how often people, black people in our age group uh, take on these fights to change the system. Um, And we do it without really a second thought. Um, And so like, even though um, uh, the actor is probably in his thirties, it's not lost to me that those dudes were like 21 years old. No, isn't that crazy? uh, uh, Cause I was a piece, I was, I was about ratchet shit at 21. So the well, fact not that to say that they weren't like, yeah. like if you look at the story of the Black Panthers, it's not like they weren't ratchet. I think that I, I think why my why our activism kind of like really uh, uh, manifests itself the way it does is, you know, we're of a lineage of 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 young Panthers, mm. Pumas either. Yeah. Maybe maybe Pumas we can call ourselves. <laughs> where it's kind of like you just want the freedom freedom to do hood rat shit with your friends, but the world and the systems around you won't let you be great. And Word. we just want to be great. We just want our people to win and to be great and do hood rat shit with our friends. Right. And and it was also a reminder that in in these conversations around DNI or change or social justice and equity, that there are like you just need to be mindful of people who have ulterior motives who are not in alignment with progress and change, um, money talks, and it often talks uh, to the evil side of people. Um, So yeah, I thought it was a dope movie. It was definitely uh, infuriating, but also empowering and exciting to 
to see how we, to see people who look like me, who have a similar pers pers uh, perspective. Uh, perspective to me, uh, do dope shit. Unfortunately, it ended the way that it ended, but uh, we're still here and we can fuck shit up and make shit happen. And I think that's what's important. I think I've always, um, you know, you know, I talk about what well, we talk about. Our families aren't necessarily from the states, but I remember at a very young age, um, I think largely because my my dad's family grew up in the Canal Zone in Panama, and they were very affiliated or associated with U.S. cultures and norms, and particularly Black people and the Black Power movement. Um, and Stokely, Car uh, sorry, not Stokely Carmichael, excuse me. Um, but um, a little, 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 why can't Bobby Seeley was like my dad's favorite Black Panther. And so growing up, Bobby Seeley was like who I did my research about and just kind of like who I gravitated towards. But as I kind of transitioned into my, you know, late teens and adulthood, I too learned the story of Fred Hampton and him being such a young cat from Chicago, um, kind of uh, uh, galvanizing people and building community and building bridges where bridges were have been socialized us that they shouldn't exist like it's not just that black power is just about black power black power is empowering black people and mm -hmm. within black power there is space to empower white people and within even a, a, a positive aspect to empowering white people there's a, a way to empower latin people there's a way to empower uh poor people and so on and so forth and and asian people and and everything and that's what I took from Fred Hampton. So he, as an adult and studying the Black Power Movement and the Black Panthers, like was like his his story is heartbreaking, but his legacy is super empowering. So I think even the work that we do within advertising, where the the reality is, um, democratizing access gives everybody power, and that's kind of what I take from his legacy. And so watching uh, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah aside from the fuckery that can often be the FBI. That's why I want them to hear me because you know COINTELPRO is, is still real. Um, but the fuckery that is, you know, that has often been the United States government on black people is sad, but even our perseverance and growth beyond that, even into these new aspects of civil rights is real. And I agree, I think a lot of our uh, generation mimics that of, um, the young black panthers and you know just trying to be out here and be great and fly and, and shit and still you know create impact um so if you guys can watch that uh definitely take yourselves to um hbo max to watch it um one thing i forgot to mention before we uh started and that's my bad because i'm not going to go next for um dope shit ain't shit this yet is that we got a guest y'all we, um, we we have a guest and you guys won't see this so like it's actually really it's actually really funny i look a hot mess uh simeon looks like he's been through the ringer and sometimes when we bring guests on the show it's really important for us to do that because somebody needs to bring the energy somebody's got to bring the conversation and somebody's got to bring the flyness and this woman has brought the most lit turban and lipstick and i see that you you may you may have potentially put on your good earrings for for this audible conversation, ma'am, I thank you. Uh, we're welcoming Tiffany Hart into the show this week uh, to help us talk about influencers in the U.S. Um, and Tiffany, you mentioned earlier that you've got some dope shit about one of the biggest influencers in pop culture, hip hop culture, black culture, American culture ever. So welcome to the show. We'll get into more about you later, but tell us about your dope shit. 
Yes, thank you. I do have the turban and the good earrings on. A good, a good earring, yes. People, you know? Yes. Um, and today's big news uh, that I thought was interesting and kind of cool, whatever, whatever, was uh, Jay-Z uh, giving 50% of his stake in Armand de Brignac, or you know, however you say that French company name. Armand. I said, this is Armadale. That's Armadale. They still got Armadale. I'm getting drank. Um, Ace of Spades, whatever. Right, whatever. The gold bottles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The gold bottle. Um, Armadale and Brimiac. Um, to LVMH. And I thought that was so interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, one of them being, well, he, I remember when he started that or when he actually took over the company, the original company, and it was his own. I thought, wow, that was really dope for him to have his own um, luxury champagne. The other reason why I thought it was interesting was because the only thing I kept thinking about in my mind was the line where I literally listened to it today, where he said, I'll be damned if I'm gonna drink Belvedere while Puff still got Ciroc. Belvedere mm. is an LVMH brand. Mm. And I just thought to myself, well, mm. what you gonna drink now? Mm. What you gonna drink? Protect your investment, protect your portfolio. But Maybe he just meant the vodka. Maybe he wasn't worried about the brand. Perhaps, perhaps the type of li liquid that he consumed. You know what? That is a straight advertising thing to say. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, the portfolio is large and then da, da, da. You know, um, but it's I not a conflict of interest if we're working within verticals. Umbrella, like House of Fashion, House of Liquor brand. Um, but I just thought that was so funny because Belvedere is definitely one of the, uh, one of the brands in the LVMH portfolio. And I thought one of the other things that was interesting that I didn't know was that, um, remember there was a lot of noise around Fenty yes. fashion. That's where I went with it. Continued quietly. Um, and we don't, we don't know where she's going with her fashion house, but it, it made me think about like what, you know, like Jay Brown and, and Jay-Z, like their business dealings are everywhere. Um, yep everything so i thought it was just really interesting um that i i didn't hear about the house of fashion i didn't remember it really doing anything um so it never really got off the ground let alone uh -huh. continued. so i'm just like how so what happens when i, I just you know my so many it, no no i I thought about that because I was like, damn, didn't they just say that they was closing down Fenty because they said they wasn't making the money they wanted to make? And um, uh, also something we talked about before we even uh, started recording, the, the way you just mentioned this engagement between LVMH uh, and, and Ar Armando and, and Bimiak and all of them. Uh, <laughs> in this panorama right um it, it it was that he you know they they bought steak or they bought he 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 basically shaved off some of his uh his investment and and gave it to them but the way it's been portrayed in the media is that of a partnership and i'm not saying that that's good or bad but that for me language is a big deal and the way they've been discussing this engagement feels weird to me However, 
I say all that to say this. Miss Tina Lawson, who as a as also a Lawson, I've adopted as my auntie that I just haven't met yet. And it's because we haven't had a family reunion. So who knows, right? Um, Miss Tina Lawson wrote a long post about this, this, this merger, this partnership, this collaboration, whatever wow. you want to call it, um, about how great Mr. Sean Con uh sorry, Sean, Sean Corey Carter is doing, and people are haters and look at what they did. Uh, talked, look at how they talked about him when um, calling him a sellout for his partnership with the NFL. But now look, I believe that this man creates opportunity. I don't believe that he creates opportunity where no one gets scathed. And I also think that there's something to be said for Dame Dash has always said that also. Like it's it often comes across very Machiavellian, you know, if he dies, he dies, but the rest of us is cool over here. And so I'm interested to see what this new partnership, as they're calling it, because I don't see how it's a partnership, but okay. Besides, my, outside of money, I don't see how it's a partnership, but okay. I'm interested to see how this evolves for what they, what someone will refer to as additional opportunity for the urban world, the music world, hip hop world, people of color, black people specifically. Because it feels weird. I'm not gonna lie. Go ahead, make your money. He definitely made money. That is for sure. And I'm happy for black people getting their money. This feels weird with Fenty just happening a few weeks ago. It also feels weird with the nomenclature of the engagement. And I'm a Virgo, so you can't really run too much by me. And my energy is telling me that some shit popped off. I can't wait for the tea. That's it. Oh, skirt. So I think one of the one of the things I do I would I would say is that like when I read that, all I all I heard like in my business mind was he ran and got some money to keep his business floating. So he look he li he liquidated a piece of it for something. Something's happening. And yeah. and I, I'm and I'm I'm not sure what it is. Like I I love me some Jay Z, but I also know like he's at that age, and people tend to forget this is an older gentleman. Okay, <laughs> older men don't get it. I'm so glad we're at the point in our lives where we can speak about um, hood dudes and drug dealers from the 1980s and 90s as older gentlemen. <laughs> this is what I want the culture to evolve into. He is an older gentleman yes of a certain age and certain knowledge yes yes he is an older gentleman he is and he got plenty of babies and he's like look i don't know what y'all heard but i'm a, i'm gonna make sure my legacy is intact and these babies can go to college and live their lives and so makes sense and there's nothing in my mind there's like nothing that he's doing that someone who is not as known as he is hasn't done or would do or whatever. And I also like want to kind of disrupt this notion that like black people can't sell their or liquidate their assets. P like people do it every day. These rich companies or these companies that like no one hears about that like literally make like, I don't know, polymer and paper, you know, that have nepotism all up and through their company with their son as the new CEO, whatever the case may be, they are selling their company every day. There are companies being sold to other companies every day. That's why there's a whole MBA program on M&A, mergers and acquisitions. Yep. It happens all the time, except when black people do it, it becomes you done sold out. 
how about I done sold in so I can create more opportunity for, you know, people like me, you know? I think that's important, but also, but that's like a knowledge thing. That's like an educational piece. Mm. I don't think everyone's taking a business class to know, like the first thing I ever learned in my first business class, which happened when I was in high school, because I went to a largely white and affluent school district was you make businesses to sell them. So I didn't, so, so, so when I, uh, I guess went to um, Howard and started learning like, you know, what economics look like within the black community, the concept of ownership, it's kind of it, like, we're teaching two different things. Yeah, so that I'm, not saying, I'm not saying he shouldn't be selling. I'm like, well, what you need all this cash for? Cause that's what it was. <laughs> However, I hope that what comes out of this is, is that we do start to become more comfortable with educating people on why you would sell half of your stake. Mm-hmm. What is the tea? But also, I think for the sake of us, it 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 is important to also say, I sold so that I could have capital to do more. Yeah, because I think that people think when you sell, you sell out. But what you just said was amazing. No, I'm selling. I'm selling to sell in. I'm selling out to buy in to yeah. more of us to do more. Yeah, and I don't think that that is. Uh, the complete narrative that we share. And so people get mixed up. And also I want to know what you need all this money for. <laughs> I know. We also, and I know we'll get in the conversation in a little bit, but we also do this thing where, and I don't know if other people do this, maybe they do. I just don't, I'm not other people, but we do this thing to our leaders where they stay in this box and they stay in this little thing. And when they decide to have a different experience or a different narrative for themselves we are like how dare you you should like i couldn't imagine being famous because real famous because you're well known so you mean real famous (laughs) nobody cares if i decide like if i decided to be an instagram model today no one would say anything to me right they'd be like oh that's different (laughs) but i mean like (laughs) no one would say anything to me but i i I feel you though if but if you know jay-z decides to anything he decides to do that's of his interest. Like, it's weird that we come from this like multi-hyphenate, creative disciplinary, uh, uh, uh. We literally have majors in college that are like, you know, I remember they're called like multidisciplinary, I think is what it's yep. called. Like, you make Pick sense to me. Shit you like and make a major out of it and see what happens, you know? But then you go out into the real world and they're like, Oh no, honey, you gotta pick what you, what you about to do. We don't- That's just like our culture. I think yeah. that's our culture because so parents raise us. Well, it comes from a sense of lack, right? Where you're so used to not having that when you have, you think the object is to keep, when the reality is it's not to keep, it's to enhance and go get something else to enhance that. I think it's really it, I think it's culture along the culture lines. And you're a hundred percent right. You know who I, I love? Like, why are you changing? Why why are you always trying to change? You different. How's the change? That's why my body get bigger, my age get bigger, my cheeks get bigger, depending on what I eat. Like that's supposed, that's the natural progression of things. And I don't think in black communities throughout the diaspora, we speak enough about that. Well, we want you to stay the same and exactly how we left you in 1992. Like right. <laughs> It's not a thing. Like a super predator. No, I've I've evolved. 
I've been educated. I've been I've been indoctrinated into white mainstream culture. No, I know things now. Absolutely not. <laughs> you were so funny. But I do have some real life examples of people who I, I really appreciate their um it's almost like this, it's very beautiful how they've evolved and uh in their career and you know it no one really like skipped a beat with it but at the same time I know it was scary for them to to do that one of those people is um Josh Kissy I like I love that guy I remember you know just street etiquette back in the early 2000s and that being like this blog it was like oh my god a black blog with great photography and great style oh my god and you know today he is uh a director and you know like the the idea of being able to go from I can take cool pictures kind of to oh I actually am a photographer to an art director to a creative director to a director like Mm -hmm. I mean it's a and to get like Ava's stamp of approval like I mean even Ava like she was a PR girl you know she was a PR girl and now we're like really when you know like She's goals, cause I'm like I'm, I'm about to be out here pivoting like that any any minute now. So I was like, okay, yeah. all right, the 36, I I've got time, I've got time and opportunity. Yes, and being able to do that, and I think obviously it's a lot easier when you're not in the limelight, but when you are, uh-huh. there's um, that much more like careful crafting <laughs> that you have to do, uh, just so that people are along the ride with you. It's almost like inception, like dropping along the way. And the only reason why we feel like the people need to be with us is because as black people in particular, BIPOC people in particular, you know, we literally rely on our tribes to survive across Mm -hmm. the board. And that's the point. And we will not survive if our tribe is not on board with us. And Mm -hmm. That's what makes it really interesting and difficult and helpful and all everything in between. You were talking about power to the people. If the people ain't fuck with you, if the people they don't fuck with you, <laughs> the there is no power. Fuck with you, there is no power, and that you know what? That's a really good transition into my dope shit, and I will I will keep this I will keep this brief, but I also think Sim and I'm I'm just uh, dropping a pin in this that it's something for us to revisit. Um, and so shout out to uh, Deidre Rahman over at Huge, and also. Um, from all of our social media uh, get-ups, especially over the last year, because, you know, ain't no, ain't, no, ain't no fun if the homies can't get none, especially in person. And there's definitely been a few people who have been amazing, um, uh, amazing community members virtually. Um, and Deidre uh, gave uh, me a heads up that Hugh just got some really dope shit happening over there right now. Um, I'm interested to learn more, but this is pretty much what I've got. They out here uh, talking about defunding the the police to refund the people. Um, Mm -hmm. The platform is called defund to the number two refund and that's defund number two refund.org. And effectively what they are doing um, is uh, building an initiative to help Americans rethink public safety through a story-based platform that illustrates the human cost over policing. Our, their mission is to amplify support 
for budget reinvestments that change the role of police in America and redirect resources to build safer and healthier communities. And what that means, TLDR, too long, don't read, they're basically telling you why it's important to remove all of our, uh, remove our funds from the militarization of the police to a more uh, thought forward and people forward investment of funds to help um, uh, rehabilitate and also protect and serve our people. Um, and so what they've done on this website is collected um, a, a selection of stories uh, about folks um, uh, and their experiences with law enforcement and the power of law enforcement and also offered um, ideas and um, uh, a perspective as to what could have been done or, or, or how we could better use this money instead of buying purchasing firearms and Uzis and protective gear and intimidation gear for people to, to scare you into submission to, all right, let's use this money to build, uh, build ways to invest in our people and make them feel like they are included within the social structure. Um, and so shout out to the good folks at HUGE. We'll definitely post uh, about defund to refund, um, but also um, I'm with all the rest of the radicals. I'm here to defund the police. And if you don't know what the fuck that means, then you can Google it like you Google every goddamn thing else within the culture to understand that's not let's take the money and do nothing with it. It's about taking the money and doing other things with it, just like you've done to healthcare. And I say you to the ethereal you, but just like you've done to healthcare and education, uh, by defunding them, you can also defund police and use that money and appropriate it in other ways. Um, so that is my dope shit. That is me uh, uh, channeling my inner uh, Fred Hampton and my inner Bobby Seeley. And I hope all of y'all fuck with it as we transition into our next segment, which is really just our hot topic, which is Tiffany Harden. Oh, I'm a hot topic. Yeah, oh, you hot are the hot topic. topic. You're the whole hot topic today. What's the hot topic? The hot top. Well, the hot topic is really just about you, your career. Um, while Simeon pulls up the overview for you to be able to share, this is this is what our goal is for 2021, um, and especially you being a black woman coming out of the advertising industry. One of the things that we've said consistently through our five years on this show is that uh, people of color, primarily black people, find their footing by building opportunities outside of the industry and using those opportunities to make gain within the industry. Yeah. You've done an amazing job with that. Um, and, and we are trying to do that ourselves with the podcast. You got to build your own in order to get your own from this business. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to be talking about all things influencers. We're going to be talking about all things partnerships. We're going to be talking about how the hell did you even get here? Um, and, and you know, what was the good shit or what was the dope shit and the ain't shit of that journey? Oh, I got some stories for y'all. Yes. I'm going to read the intro because I just can't wait today. Uh <laughs> Do it. That's why you wrote it. That's why you wrote it so you can read it. Go for it. So uh, the influencer economy is essential to marketing, but like agency of brand talent, there is a lack of diversity. And when brands do choose to work with influencers of color or from underrepresented groups, they tend to work with the same batch of approved, in quotations, influencers, or the pay and the opportunities are not equitable. Uh, the solves for this issue is re revolve <laughs> around knowledge and awareness for the influencers and the decision makers at the agencies and brands, people like us. Uh, and that is where Tiffany Harding comes in. She is the 
founder of the Boutique Consultancy Guild Creative Group, and is an award-winning executive marketer. Uh, GCG, uh, sure for Guild Creative Group, uh, is is about conscious marketing for big ideas and focus on serving clients who are innovating and elevating the well-being of culture through strategy, influencer marketing, and partnerships. Uh, and through this, this is what Tiffany does. She advocates for, um, she creates idea, big ideas, but she also advocates for a diverse, diverse group of influencer clients to ensure they're getting equitable opportunities from major brands and growing their platforms. Did I do you justice? Yes, good. <laughs> you know, it's only it's only real if you if you feel full after hearing your own bio. That's when you know it's real. You know what? It was the last sentence for me because this is the this is the undertone. This isn't mm. something I like say out in the world, but like the undertone was that last sentence because. I truly do advocate for diverse voices in influencer marketing. Mm -hmm. And I 100% am someone who is like, run me my money. I'm going to tax you for what you did to the coal crush. Like, yeah. yes, <laughs> that is my favorite. That is my favorite Jay-Z line. Right? Everybody's been talking about, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman today. I'm all about charging people what they for what they did to the coal crush. Yes. It breaks my heart. There are these like old, um, like, I don't know if you look at some of the like docu-series around like Motown and like some of the old, and my dad, like, I will watch it with my dad sometimes and he'll be like, Tiffany, like, you really need to calm down. And I'm like, I can't watch this. They're being taken advantage of. Right. This is why I do what I do. Ah, ah, ah. Like I get really <laughs> upset because people, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, whatever. People will take advantage of you, bar none, period, for what you don't know. By the way, happens every day at the damn um, car dealership, sure. at the automotive fix your car situation. Listen, I'm one of those people that's like, listen, if you tell me, if you tell me I need to get my rotary fix. I don't, you know, I don't have a car. If you or whatever, you say that, I'm like, sounds good. I don't know. What's a rotary? I, I'm like, I'm gonna call my dad. Like, they said something about the rotary. I don't know. Like, whatever. You right. know, and, and by the way, that's partly why I'm a I'm, I'm a vegan vegetarian because I don't have time to be sick. If they they didn't told me all I have to do is eat vegetables and fruit and like what not not meat. That's what I'm eating. And they were like, you won't be sick. And I was like, say less, sis. Like, <laughs> I'm straight. That's what I, and I haven't been sick. <laughs> My blood levels are straight. I'm not on anyone's medication. And I don't plan on wearing anyone's medication. I don't know if I'm ready to be vegan, but that sounds mad good. And I'm going to put it in my consideration. <laughs> yes, put it in your considerations list. Decolonize your diet, sis. Well, anyway, <laughs> you weren't ready for that, that word. <laughs> <laughs> Decolonize everything. <laughs> but uh, no, no, that, that really liked, that really struck a chord with me just because it's, I didn't, this sort of goes into why I, I got where I'm at. Um, Take us there. To how how right. did, before you was out here cussing out what they did to the cold crush, what brought you to this life of entrepreneurialism? Yes. Um, I love that there's not a video to this because like, but my facial expressions, I'd be catching myself in the self view sometimes. And I'd be like, my facial expressions are hilarious. And I oh, just, yeah. 
Oh yeah, that's what this is for. Zoom has brought me a, a level of self-awareness that I know people wish I had my whole life. Oh, this is what they're talking about. I am looking at you like you crazy, but I'm about to keep it here because you you talking real crazy. So yeah. <laughs> So hard. Oh my god, this is the best podcast ever. So um back in the da-da day, um, I, I used to write songs. I would interrupt my parents and be like, Can I sing you my song during their TV show? And they were like, Ugh. I mean, my mom was cool, she was always great. But my dad was like, Oh, right now? And I'm like, Yeah, right now. <laughs> and I would sing them my little song. I thought I was gonna be you know, baby face. And then I learned about Clive Davis. And I thought I was going to be Clive Davis. I was like, I'm going to write songs. I'm going to put them out. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be great. And like, then I realized that is a lot of work. And I don't think that I was <laughs> that interested in right. like just being on my Beyonce and, and running and singing and doing all, I was like, I ain't doing all that. This and is before we had like MTV's Fanatic when it just seemed like it was easy, right? Before BTS. No, there wasn't even anything on TV about the music business. The music business was just like this veil. It was like Oz. It was this thing that like didn't exist, um, but did. You like, it's like almost like the CDs just showed up in the store. The CDs dated myself, but like the CDs just showed up in the store and you're like, nothing oh. about no cassettes. So you didn't date that back. Right. <laughs> magic CDs, you know? Um, and in my senior year of high school, I went to go visit a college, Columbia College Chicago. And uh, on, the, on the invitation of a friend who was visiting, cause she was doing like art direction, like all that stuff. And um, so I've been around creative people my entire life. Uh, my mom's a software analyst. My dad's an operations guy, like just that kind of people and um go to chicago have a conversation with a counselor and i was like i'm a sang and i'm a right and he was like cool you're probably going to be broke for about five years you know you'll probably be on some cruise ship singing you'll probably you know because the reality of people that actually work in the field singing and doing that work it is not recording contracts it is you're in the chorus of the theater you're in the cruise ships, you're doing all this other stuff. It's like, there's a whole working world around music, but yeah. it's, it's not necessarily, you're going to be doing other things to get by, you know? Right. So I heard that and I was like, oh, <laughs> be broke. That's not me. I'm a Virgo. I need security. Who wants to take care of me, sis? Who wants to take care of me? So, and it wasn't my parents because they were like, this expensive private ass school, you have to figure your shit out. So I ended up going back home during that, during that visit, found this, um, well, he, the, the counselor rep, uh, recommended to me music business. So he didn't like leave me out high and dry. He was like, you might want to look into our music business program. That might be something you like. There was literally a, a degree that I got called arts, entertainment, media management, focus and concentration, talent management. And I said, Ooh, that sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, that sounds like my left brain and my right brain come together and they can make a baby. Like it just felt real me. And yeah. so I went back home and at the time, you know, I was living in um, Wisconsin and I uh, got a hold of this like rock band, this like garage rock band from high school that was kind of like 
popular. And I was like, let me be your manager, essentially. Come and on, Twister, let me be your manager. That was before the song came out. This, yes. was, this was 2003, okay? Yes. And Yang Yang Twins were still on top. Yes. That Poetry Jam was still popping on HBO. You know, like it was, it was that kind of living. And um, I, uh, they were like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And then I was doing all of the things. I was making their press kits. I was doing, you know, all of their stuff. And I used that experience as a case study to decide like what, if I liked this, if I liked talent management. Um, and as it turns out, I did. And I remember, I remember sitting on the floor of like my parents' office and putting things together. And I literally remember saying to myself, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And I didn't know what that, like that thought that came into my mind. I didn't know anything else about it, but I did know that I was always going to work with talent. I was always going to be representing their interests. And I, I always knew I wanted to bring together their interests with other partners and other people. And that is something that has stuck with me and that's evolved over the years, but that energy stuck with me my entire career. So ended up, you know, going to school, meeting um, a lot of great people, including this cat named John Monopoly, who at the time was managing Kanye West's good music uh, company. He was the president of, of that company during that time, around 2006. And um, interned for him for a while, like running his, in I was interning for him running his intern program, which is hilarious. And then- um, That's just, how it worked back then. That's how music worked back then. You're, you're the CEO, but we just can't pay you. Right, that part. <laughs> and, I mean, like I was definitely like uh, his Chicago person because he was in New York. And um, I worked with one of his partners and we were opening up this nightclub in Chicago together. I was literally like painting the walls the day of the, launch and like puffy came in and all these people and um i remember having a conversation with him and i was like i just want a job before i graduate school because when you're in the music business and this is like circa 2006 yep um circa 2007 like you you don't know it's a it's a toss-up you know it's all about the people you know and that was one thing about school that i realized i didn't even want to go to school for this i just knew my mom wanted me to go to school so i was like okay fine and yep but what I knew and what I used my school for was relationship building. Yep. And, um, and that's what I did. And so um, I knew that I, I had this opportunity to bring somebody to the school. And, and the reason I'm sharing all of this with you is because it's the unlock. It's like, if, it, if this impact moment did not happen, nothing about my career would be happening. And so John Manah, I told him, I was like, hey, and it's funny because I went to school with uh, Brenda Ringo and Derek Lottery and yep. a bunch of folks who were all in the same kind of class and they're all still in the music business doing great things. Um, and Brenda and I, I was like president of student programming board and blah, blah, blah. And she mentioned to me, um, Mona Scott Young, because we wanted to bring somebody to the school to speak. Yep. And I'm like, okay, I'll figure it out. And I'll get in touch with her. I'm the queen of finding people. And so John used to work at Violator, yep. which is she was the president of at the time. And I said, John, I really need a favor. Like as an intern, you don't ask for much. So like, you know, this is like the thing where it's like, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna call a favor in for you. And he made it happen. And she came to Chicago. She knew that I needed a job and we hit it off really well. And, you know, some time went by, but 
you know, at the end of the day, she offered me a position uh, in New York at Violator. And what I year was that? What year were, was, that was did all this happen? I ended up in New York, February, 2007. Got it. And I, um, I that was like the middle of my senior year of, of college. Yep. I had all of my credits. The last class I took was with Donald Lawrence. And that was like, he's like, you got your credits, girl, go on. You know, like, <laughs> go forth and be great. Yeah. And go like, go forth and be great. And I remember um, my, I had started a business in, in my, my senior year of college with this, this guy, this white guy, we called it um, digital arm, which turned into social arm. And it was, get this, it was social asset research and media management in 2007. I was, I loved the idea. Twitter data being a conduit and a catalyst for helping managers understand audiences better yep. and being a better manager because of it. And so, you know, the fast forward of this is that I worked for Mona um, for about a year and a half, so many stories out of that, and then went to go work for Translation and Steve Stout. And that's when I really understood how culture and commerce and advertising, how that all came together. And that's when I realized, wow, there's the, the branding advertising community so desperately relies on creators yeah. and culture to help sell things. And I know a lot of creators and, and, I, and I know culture and they need a lot of money. And there's the, the people with the bag, they want each other, they want each other. Now, the, the, the problem is, is that they, the way that they speak to each other, they haven't found a lot of, um, like a, a, a creator give, can give a fuck less about a CPM. Yep. The values are not the same, you know? And so being able to help each side of that coin understand the value side and yep. create, you know, some media together or, or create some, uh, you know, just sort of cultural relevance together could really, you know, do a brand good. And that's when I started leaning into how can I put these two together? And that's where really my practice in influencer marketing started. It's so good to hear that. I know Sim's got the next question, but it's really good to hear that because I think a lot of our listeners, a lot of our listeners are in that space where like they, they, they know what they're good at. They know what interests them but also like making the pivot and understanding those milestone moments of like transition and the aha moments. Like it's good to hear other people who recognize them. So Sim, what, what questions do you got? Yeah, I mean, so part of what sparked this was uh, Tiffany and I were talking last week on Instagram because I was actually looking for black women influencers and influencers that, um, that everybody doesn't see, right? And then also making sure that they're they're hitting on those beats that we were trying to hit for the campaign. But I, I guess another question that I have to ask you, because this is now what you're dedicated to do and making sure that you're working with diverse influencers. As you're working with these brands, um, what are some of the biggest pushbacks that you are um, getting when you're pitching them to these brands? Because I think this is good insight for those of us who are creatives who put influencers in front of clients to sort of have these insights on how to make sure that we are uh, positioning people who are for the culture, who represent the culture the way they're supposed to be represented. Um, like what are, what are some of those those pushbacks that we can then flip into um, 
foundational selling points to get get us to the finish line with these influencers? I think that the first thing, it depends on what side you're on, but for on the creator side, um, is understanding your the system that you're in. Mm. Like that was the unlock for me. It was like as someone that was inside of a system, I can't convince, I don't know, Bud Light or Samsung or whoever, I'm not gonna be able to convince them that working with, especially at that time, a Karen Civil is important. You know, and I work with Karen Civil and helped build her brand for like five years. Um, at like from two, starting in like 2011, you know, like there was, I had to- prime time. I was like, wait a minute, that's prime time. You did good. <laughs> And, and, and before you finish, actually, to that point, I actually just sold Karen Civil on another project, and it was pretty easy. So kudos to you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and you know, yay, that makes me so happy. In real life, I would get a commission off that. But anyway, so <laughs> well, now we know. Next time, <laughs> don't ask me unless there's money, you know. But um, you know, I uh, I think you have to we as we as people have to understand what system we're playing in because no one especially for those people that aren't living it they don't know what what influence really means outside of a reach and some some uh analytic figures right mm. and so someone could be like influential offline but if they're online, isn't that there's no way for the for you to convince your your constituents or your brand client or whoever that this is the right play? Although you know, culturally speaking, people would be like, "Yo, they get it. Damn, I, I thought I was the only one. They know what's going on. You know, they know what's happening in the streets." And what's wild is is that like that is actually what the client wants to achieve is that level of proximity to people and the sentiment that they want to achieve. There's a few things that I would say. One is understand the system that you're playing in, find evidence, whether that is numbers or articles or whatever, find the evidence that demonstrates there's cultural re relevance. And three, I would say, make sure that you're articulating what the what your expectation would be from working with the person or if it's you as the culture influencer like here's what you can expect and here's what you can do with fill in the blank whether that's the content that they create the appearance that they're going to have the whatever the case is because that's what helps build a picture and I think what happens is we don't do, we, there's not enough Tiffany's and Kai's and Simeon's in the world. There's not enough of us to help understand that the system that we're in to help articulate the value. And so you have someone who is like off doing their thing. And that's why we have to have y'all in the seats that you're in because if you're not in those seats, in those advertising companies and in those brands, then we're leaving a lot of money on the table for culture that otherwise could be had. And I know it's some bullshit in those companies and those corporate organizations. I, I know it's some bullshit, but at the same, 
B O O shit. <laughs> but at the same time, it's because you're able to raise your voice and raise your hand to say, like, I got somebody for you. Now, the trick is making sure, and, and a lot of talent has gotten hit to this by having people like me on their team, but having those folks kind of represent. I think what's kind of whack is when brand partners try to leave it on the talent, yep. Yep. the debt to create the proposal there, the thing this happen. And it's like, that's not what their job is. Yep. Like that's yeah. your job. Well, here's well, here's the thing, right? And I, I think it's interesting that you bring that up because I think I was gonna try to pose this question in a different way, but you've got you've gotten to it, right? I think alluding to what you were saying before about having folks like us at the table and folks like us in the building, the 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 piece of this work or the piece of this system that hasn't actually been figured out in a quantifiable or even a qualifiable way is culture. It's so elusive. It's so, uh, it varies deeply depending on every variation that you give to it. Geography, uh, uh, socioeconomics, race, gender, uh, uh, sexual preference, uh, girl, are you a right-handy or are you a left-handy? Like, right. it's like literally every, it's like, culture is like water, any, any piece of energy placed into it will shift it. Word. And because it changes so frequently and so subtly, it's hard to understand. It's literally why everybody just can't swim once they touch water, right? Just because you touch culture doesn't mean you get it. And because of that, my experience when I was working on the PR side of things, Lord Jesus, that was a horrible year. But when I was working on the PR side of things, I, I bore witness to agency placing the burden on influential talent, influencers. And I thought it was the strangest thing. So I was like, all of a sudden we're treating our influencers as small agencies of themselves, which by definition, sure, but by productivity and expectation of this business, y'all are getting away with murder. Literally agencies right now are going to clients. Let's pull out a big client right now who's sexy, LVMH. Hey, y'all, we got this bomb ass idea for you. We're going to go get Bobby Schmurter, who just got released from prison in Brooklyn, and he's going to bring you this new market <laughs> you don't share for <laughs> and he's going to do bomb ass things for you. And they're like, cool, we need a new market. They're not saying this, but whatever. We need a new market. And then they go to Bobby Smarter and be like, hey, y'all, we promised them that you would do big shit. I need a deck. I need you to pull out. Uh, I need everything. I need you to basically create an entire campaign, several concepts, comps, and everything. Bring it back to us. I'm going to go pitch verbatim what you just sent to me. And if they say, yes, you got to give me a commission off of, I, I'm taking a percent percentage off of all the work you did, knowing damn well, you didn't even charge enough. And that's like the conflicting piece of this. I think what, 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 what black people and, and BIPOC, you know, BIPOC can come in here too, but I can only speak for us. 
I think through influencership, we have opportunity to build wealth, recognition, and value in a way we haven't been able to in the past. However, I think a lot of these agencies and, and, and larger firms have figured out a way to make the influencers almost feel like they owe the agency, they owe the organization, they owe the company for finding me to connect me to this big brand. You don't even realize that you're doing 75% of their work and they're getting paid 75% of your commission. Yep. I am. How do you advocate for that on your end and making sure that influencers are being treated fairly and being paid equitably? Yeah. Woo, girl, like my spirit just. Yeah. That's Black History Month. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting about that is I'm a huge proponent of talent having uh, an operations arm. Like, I won't even work with talent unless they have somebody that's an operator in their business um, because you are a business. Like, talent is a business. And um, there needs to be someone that's very clear about like how things are priced, how things run, you know, if whatever, just all of that stuff. And, and also like the analytics of the thing. So um, it's really important to me that talent understands working in this, working in a system, how to play back their value to those people that are in a system. Because to your point, the agency is going to do that, right? Like, the agency is asking you like, oh, you did that social post for us. Send us the analytics. They're going to take that. They're going to make a story out of that and sell back to their client. Oh, this influencer did so well for us. Whoop, 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 whoop. And, and that's fine. Like that's their job. But you also have to be empowered enough to, to do that. You can't rely on, and this is someone, I, I own an agency. This is the work that I do. You can't rely on on that solely, right? Like, especially if you're going to be proactive in getting your own deals, you have to be able to do that, you know, on your own. Um, and I think that it was, it was still is so ridiculous and wrong to have, you know, sometimes individuals act as if, there are these vendors. I was like, you guys are confusing a vendor with an influencer. And an influencer, yep. You know, like if you want all of this UGC content creation, then you're going to need to call a photographer, get their right. And this is why I, I love a good plus, plus, plus on these contracts. What's the usage? How long yeah. are you? What's it? I mean, people are like, what's your rate? I'm like, ah, let me see. Let me see the contract. Where are we placing this? Is this digital or is this Brock? Like, where is this gonna live? How long is it gonna live there for? Child, who gonna see it? Right. Are y'all planning on doing paid promotion on this? Like, what? Like, what is the intention of this work? Yeah. Period. And that's when we start getting into like this is how you know people get played is that they're not clear about what the intention of the work is. And I'm not even just talking about like the influencer talent that like shows up. I'm also talking about the photographers. Yep. I'm also talking about the creative talent, the stylists, all those people. I literally had a scenario just recently where a magazine printed creative IP from my client without asking in a magazine. 
I've also had that happen recently and I was talent, but whatever. I was totally <laughs> like, and, and the conversation was, we didn't think you would be mad. I'm sorry, I didn't think you'd mind. Like, and this is a good opportunity. No, and, the old, and by the way, the only reason I knew about it was because I happened to be subscribed to the magazine. Uh, and I was like, oh, skirt, nope, that's, pay me. And they were so confused about why, why I would ask. I was like, have you been in publishing business before? Like, this is not a thing. No. not a thing. Like, my, my cousins are commercial photographers. My good friends are in publishing. Like, that's not a thing. There's literally a photo licensing department for that very purpose because you can get sued and best believe our legal department knows what's going on here. So you better... I think you need to act right and pay me like because I don't like I have other things to do than be messing with you so like just pay me the money and <laughs> call it a day like let's let let's keep this amicable you know what's really funny about that situation it was the um it was a vegan magazine it was the black vegan issue so and there's literally a like layout on like black veganism and racism and everything like the irony of the whole Girl. thing well, that leads me into my next question. And then I know, because Simeon, you had a, a, a pre-question. So maybe we have like two or three more questions left because I know you're oh, a busy woman. We got stuff to do. But also like, I think, I think what's important to get from this conversation is that in addition to creating a lane for yourself, by kind of following your your gut and like you know this these are these are the things that I enjoy these are the skills that I've learned this is how I've been able to marry them you've also been able to create a lane for other people who let's say 20 25 years ago this this lane would not have existed for this group of people i think uh with influencers like influ influence period has been around forever but who we've uh donned as a top influencer influencers have has shifted due to social media and again i will i will die on the hill that black people have literally unearthed a a a, a pot of gold in content making because we yeah. tend to be we are so creative because we have no choice but to be when you are left with nothing what do you do to create something and so many people who who have gone without due to social or or prejudicial constraints have succeeded but even within that um there's this line that i think that gets drawn right with uh, appropriation and celebration and just like with what you're saying with your situation, where they were like, well, we thought you'd be happy that we included you, girl. We thought you just wanted the exposure. We thought you just wanted the visibility. We thought that you would just be happy as a vegan to be associated with a group like us in our black issue. How do you, how do you, you're laughing, but like for real, <laughs> you've heard these things before. How do you advise people, maybe newcomers, because there are a lot of folks that do listen to us that are transitioning into a world of influence, whether it be through thought leadership, whether it be through content development or other aspects. How do you advise them on um, asking people to pay them what they owe? Shout out to the boondocks. How do you ask people to pay what you owe 
um, when they try to throw the exposure curveball at you? Yeah, 100%. Because one of the things is, is that I can, I'm, I'm very comfortable sitting in the seat of not playing that ain't, that ain't it because we had did the work. I'm not year one in this thing. Like I am year, been there, done that. Come on. And exposure is not something that I need, you know, um, not when, you know, I've, we've been in Vogue, we've been in New York times. We've been like, exposure is not like no one asked you. Um, so one thing I would say is like, and this is something I feel really strongly about, especially for black people who are starting. Cause I think it's really easy to get on the boat of, well, they pay me and I just start like, you yeah. really, some of y'all really do need exposure. Like some of y'all really do need to get some experience under your belt. And once that first year, maybe even two, yeah, done, then you know, keep keep that thing pushing. Like everything is iterative, and it it and it builds on it on itself. There have been conversations that I've had with people, strategy sessions where I've done it for free or for a meal. There have been things, you know, all of that. It all is iterative. It depends on where. What I like to say is, have a point of view. Yeah, have a point of view on your work have a point of view on how you decide to spend your time. So on, on one half of it, if it's a scenario where someone is like, hey, I want you to be part of my influencer program, it's $25 and you know you get X, Y, and Z. If you're just starting, it's nice to have a logo on your name. Yeah. You know, so that people know, you know how to work with bigger brands or whatever if that's your thing. So you might do that. Maybe there's like two times out of the month that you do something like that. And that's on the low. You don't tell nobody about it, whatever. My plan, my thing is like, have a plan for how you plan to work with people Mm. with other companies Mm. that that are trying to take advantage. And they're like, Hey, we thought you'd be cool with exposure. You know, whatever the case may be, there's actually like templates on the internet you can take. And, and I, I mean, I've, wrote plenty of emails, but um, that might be a scenario where you say, Hey, this looks like a great opportunity. I'm super excited to be a part of it. This is what my rate is. Are you flexible on budget? Are you flexible on budget is my favorite thing in the world to say. Same. That's new for me though. So you, you must've learned this at a point. That's a new thing for me. Are you flexible budget is my favorite thing to say because it puts the ball in their court to say, let me go think about this. Uh-huh. And if they're like, Hey, we actually, you know, this is really what it is. Then that is at that point, that is when you get to decide and take the personal shit out of it. Sometimes people are really just working with the money they got. They ain't got money. Yeah. And it's like, all right, am I willing to do this work at this rate? Am I willing to do part of this work at this rate? Am I willing to put my name on this rate? Like, what are you willing to do? What are your factors? What are your criteria for figuring out if that's going to be a good partner for you outside of the dollar? Because if there's other value that this opportunity can bring you outside of the dollar, 
then it might be worth your while in taking that. Mm -hmm. Or you turn around and say, this isn't going to work for me, but I have a friend, maybe a beginner, someone in college, I don't know, but I have a friend that this might work well for. Here's this, because here's the other thing you're doing is you're building a relationship, being a resource. And Lord knows there have been plenty of people that have said no to me, but then turned around and said, I got somebody for you. And that didn't matter if it was the dollar amount, the time frame, or whatever the case is. If somebody's asking you to do something in a short amount of time, which is taking away from some other stuff that you have going on, then tax them. Be like, I would love to do this for you. The timeline is is a bit too short. I usually require a two-week window. That the the speed on this requires a $350 like speed fee or whatever you want to call it. Um, to expedite this deliverable, you get yeah. one round revision, and that's all I'm gonna say. You yeah. know, and that's it. Like you get to design the parameters for your work. Right. But if you let somebody do that for you, then you're gonna feel real burnt out real quick because they're gonna be like, actually, can you just actually can you just actually can you just a lot of can can actually and just are my least favorite words when it comes to doing business because just insinuates that it's a small ask it's not and actually (laughs) insinuates that this is the correct thing and it's not so no (laughs) and only it's only only no no it's not (laughs) it's only my time (laughs) it's only my time and only my patience so what do we got going on zim what about you what are you thinking I want to know how we can uh, direct business your way. <laughs> like, what do you what do you need? I feel like that's that's also a part of this. I feel like you are essential to this this change that needs to happen for these influencers. So, how how do you see people like myself who are still on the agency side for the t- time being? Um, how can we basically work with you to accelerate the change that needs, that needs to happen? Yeah. Um, so there are a few things. One, I think for folks that are inside of agencies or at brands, um, come, come to me to consult. Like there are people that I work with, there's strategy that I, that I do. It's not just about the execution for me. It's also about the influencer strategy and how we want to see that work out and make, and I think what people get with me is guaranteed diverse voice, diverse voices. And I think what people get with me is a true understanding of, you know, not just diverse voices, but landscapes as well. Like, let's talk about what it means to be in Nashville and be black. Like, let's talk about black cowboys. Let's talk about, you know, like let's get into the culture shit, you know, and finding the right voices that are going to match the campaign initiative and the message. Um, And then really start to unpack and and tell those stories and really be the communication device between the the client partner and the, and the talent partner. So folks can come to me for that. I think from uh, a creator perspective, if you're an influencer or creative, um, I do like one hour problem solving sessions called conscious hustler. And that is really my attempt at this point because I, you know, I have a network of influencers that I, that I like to work with, but there are people that come to me that are like, Hey, I don't have a Tiffany Harden. I don't have a manager, but I have these brands coming in or, you know, I want to pivot my business. Or I want to pivot my life or whatever. Um, I need a little bit more assistance. Like this is sort of my pet project. That's 
you know, helping people like spend an hour with them, give them some great advice, give them some must do's. I, I'm, I come from a teaching capacity. I was an NYU professor. So like, all come on, come on accolades. Get <laughs> some shit. <laughs> I like, you know, I like to give homework and I stay interested. I'm, I'm culturally curious and I require people that work with me to be that as well. Um, the other thing I will say is that I'm hiring uh, project managers and account managers and uh, also like some partnership managers as well. So like if there are people who enjoy this type of work and, you know, are in the advertising side of things, I need your minds to you, you know how the system works. So it's easier for me to grab you and like mold you a little bit more and then, and put you out into the world on this side of the fence um, than it is for me to just like pick somebody off off the street. So if you're interested in just changing and shifting a little bit of your, your work style and narrative to be on this side of the coin, then I would love to, to work with those folks as well. That is absolutely amazing i'd love to be able to start pipelining folks to you um whether it's through any of the a million facebook groups that we are a part of but also through our <laughs> listenerships um because honestly tiffany i think you have a lot to offer to our listeners i think a lot of our listeners are looking to transition um either completely out of the industry and into a more culturally focused yeah. uh, uh place or quite frankly become influencers themselves or um, monetize their influence yeah. because a lot of people are already influencers and giving a lot of shit away for free. Um, yeah. So we want to send folks your way. Thank you. I, and I'm about getting snipers. I'm about like hitters. Like, I, you know, I, I came up under Steve Stout and Mona Scott Young. Like, I'm like, let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. Like Perfect. I want that energy, like conscious hustler energy, like yeah. me all the time, I, especially around wellness practitioners. Cause that's the next phase of yeah. this thing and I'm I'm like snatching them because I'm like don't touch my babies like <laughs> like these brains are out here trying to you know sticky for your paper like you better have them call me you know like that kind of energy and I think um you know for your for your people have them holler at me um at guildcreativegroup.com and just see what I'm about and then you know send me a message or dm me on Instagram tiffany underscore harden at guildcreativegroup we, we in there. We in there. And just like she's in there, we're in there. Make sure you guys, first of all, Tiffany, thank you for joining us for today's episode. Yeah. Can't wait to get this one out the door. For those of you that continue listening, you already know you can find us on all the social media handles, Ask Mixed Company, or find us on our website, mixedcompanypodcast.com. And if you're still stuck in 2010, you can email us at ask, uh, at uh, askmixedcompany at gmail.com. Um, and we will get back to you. You can listen to us anywhere you can find a podcast. We are also in there. Tiffany, thank you for your time. Thank you for your knowledge. And thank you for just your stick to with this business. It's so necessary. Sim, keep your head up. Me, I'm trying to do the goddamn same. Um, and we will be back with another episode next month. You all take care. Peace out. Peace out, y'all. Bye.